Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hi guys, how you doing? Happy Friday. Welcome to episode 119 of Parenthood. Today, I want to talk about rebellion proofing, six ways to rebellion proof your teenager. So a few weeks ago, before we did the Q&A, because the last two weeks I did Q&A, we started talking about teenagers. Now, up until now, we kind of have more dwelt on younger children. So I thought it was about time we kind of hit up the older years and I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to that. I addressed some of the myths around why teenagers rebel, and then we got to the nitty gritty of the main reason that, you know, tensions happen and rebellion starts to creep in. So if you want to know what that is, go back and be sure to listen, because today I want to continue talking about teenagers, and it's super important that you listen Even if you have young children, even if you have right now babies and toddlers in your household, because the framework for the teenage years is actually built in the childhood years. Let me say that again. That's why it's worth listening and worth thinking about now and being intentional with what you're doing now, because the framework for the teenage years is built in the childhood years. Now, Like I said last time, teenagers don't suddenly rebel when they hit the age of 13 or 14 or 15 because of some hormone surge. I mean, hormones have a little bit to do with it, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But if your child is rude and rebellious toward you at the age of 12, I can guarantee you that that has been a little while in the making. They did not wake up this morning and suddenly decide that they're going to start being rebellious and rude to you. So, you know, I know with my kids, they would not have dared just wake up one morning and decide to be rude. They would have known, "Uh oh, I'm in trouble. Like they, it's always a, a long time coming. So Georgia had this friend that we have known for a very, very long time. And her friend who shall remain nameless is the complete antithesis of what Georgia is like. So her friend has had lots and lots of boyfriends from quite a young age, uh, drinks a lot, parties a lot, um, gets drunk, uh, dresses in a very sexualized manner amongst a whole heap of other things. And I can promise you that that behavior did not start when she hit 15. I actually watched how this girl was parented And what was allowed right back when she was as young as three and four and onwards. Um, So it's no surprise to me that that girl ended up with values completely in the opposite direction to Georgia. And no, we did not just hit the jackpot with Georgia. And no, it's not just her personality. We didn't just get lucky, which a lot of people think that that's the case. Oh, you just got lucky. Your kid's got a good personality. No, there's actually a lot of intentional parenting along the way. So what I want to do today is talk about things that you can do, six things actually that you can do now to help rebellion proof your child. In other words, how can we best set them up for a win? 
for everybody in their teenage years and beyond, not just you, but the whole family. And I don't want you to despair if your child is 12 or even older and showing signs of rebellion. Um, It's never too late. Okay, so here we go with number one. And this obviously only relates if you're married. So I just want to talk to the married people for a second. The first thing that you can do to help rebellion proof your teenager is actually to put your spouse first. One of the greatest gifts that you can give to that we can give to our kids is actually a good marriage. Now, take it from me, who grew up with the devastating effects of divorce. The effects for the kids with divorce are hard and they're lifelong. I'm paying for the divorce of my parents to this day in all sorts of ways. And one of the best things that your children can see you do is actually to put your partner first. Because if a husband wife relationship is not healthy, then the teenager has no reason to invest themselves emotionally in your family. And that's one of the key things with teenagers doing well in their teenage years is that they're emotionally invested in belonging to your family, which is what I'll talk about in a moment. But if your marriage is not healthy, your teenager has no reason to invest themselves in in your family either. When mum and dad love each other well, it actually brings a security into the heart of your children and therefore teenagers. A strong marriage means the chance for strong parent-child relationships and a good marriage makes your family something worth belonging to. Okay, so that's the first thing that you can do is put your spouse first and make sure that you treat your spouse well. Don't put the kids first and your spouse second. Your marriage always should come first. And I do see a lot of people making that mistake um, in even with their time. They, you know, everything rolls around the children and the children's schedule. But the best thing you can actually do is to teach the kids that the whole world does not revolve around them and that your marriage comes first. Because I'm telling you, one day when your kids kids grow up also, it's not just an investment into your kids, it's an investment into your future too. Because one day when the kids grow up and they're not around anymore and you're not distracted and busy by any of, um, you know, normal young family activities, then you're going to be left staring, you know, just at your husband or your wife. And you want to be glad about that. Cameron and I actually often say now that our kids are a bit older, Like I said to him the other day, jokingly, lucky I really like you. And he's like, lucky I really like you too. But, you know, it's a thing. This is at this stage when a lot of marriages do fall apart. So it's an investment into your children, but also into your own future. Okay, so that brings me to my second point. And that is, it is really important to develop a sense of family identity. So I used to always watch Dr. Phil. Do you guys even know who Dr. Phil is? Oh my gosh, he was like amazing. I loved his advice. When Georgia, in fact, when all the kids were little, I used to always make sure that um, they were either having lunch or they were having nap time around one o'clock when Dr. Phil was on. Anyway, he gave great parenting advice. He's actually written a good book on families too. And he always taught that children and teens who had a sense of belonging to a family had less chance of all sorts of things like dropping out of school, uh, rebellion, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, that basically it was those young people that had a strong sense of family who thrived. And to me, you know, I remember hearing that when my kids were younger. And to me, that's really evident in our family now. Like I could spend a half an hour easy just on how to do this, how to create 
a sense of identity for your family. Your family needs a sense of identity as if it were its very own person. And you know, when you belong, you know, like for us, for example, you know, we've made it almost like an identity, like we're we're the Bennett family. Like we love being the Bennett family. And you know, my kids know where they belong when we say you belong to the Bennett family. And there's a thousand different ways to build this. I haven't got time to go into all the different ways today, but most, here's a few of the important ones. Make sure you spend time together. Don't be so busy, you know, working in your jobs that you're not spending time as a family together. Make memories together. Have special traditions. They can be simple. They don't have to cost much. I look back, we did things like, um, Friday night pizza movie and lolly night. Um, Whenever it was my kid's birthday, the birthday boy or girl got to choose what they were going to have for dinner. Uh, We made sure we took a holiday every year, even if we, we couldn't afford it, like we would save for it. And we just made it a priority. We would eat around the dinner table, probably not as much as I would have liked to, but we did make a very concerted effort to do that. We also used verbal reinforcement. Cameron was really good at this. He would always say the Bennett family is the best. I love the, I love our family. He would always say that. Um, build on solid values. Know what your family values are. Don't just stab in the dark. Be you know, be conscious about what your family values are and build on them. Like for us, it was things like we love God or um, we're always here for one another, just little catch cries that belong to your family. Okay. So that's my first two, good marriage and and a good, strong sense of family identity. Don't be a family that they're there, but they're not there. You know what I mean? You want a family that's really engaged and connected to one another. Third thing that you can do, Foster respect in their younger years. Now, this respect I'm talking about goes every which direction. Uh, They need to learn, our kids need to learn respect for you as the parents and your authority. And this is why I bang on so hard about first-time obedience. It's a huge part of this. You know, threats don't work in a six foot three, 18 year old boy, which is what I now have. What works is the fact that he respects me. He respects me as his mum. And so, you know, if he's doing the wrong thing, I can't threaten him anymore to go and sit in the timeout corner or I'll take something away from him. He's got his car, he's got his, you know, his license, he's got um, his own job, he's six foot three, like I said. And so the only thing now that our relationship is built on is respect. And that is taught when they're younger. Um, teach them to respect one another as well as siblings. Teach them to respect themselves by the way they act, the way they talk, the way they dress, and teach them to respect other people, to respect their grandparents, to respect their aunties and uncles, to respect their teachers. There's a lot to be said. I never, ever, ever. That's why I, you know, my kids, really good friends, they called them auntie and uncle um, because there was a level of respect and love there. Um, You know, my kids, I would never... Um, for example, if a teacher did something that one of my kids was really upset about, I didn't just believe my kids and then criticize the teacher. I would always say, okay, let's, you know, listen to the teacher. And I would take the side of the teacher. And if I felt the teacher was unfair, well, then I needed to deal with that very carefully because I didn't want to incite disrespect in my kids towards authority. So that's really important. Number four, a very important thing you can do 
to rebellion-proof your teen is to surround them with a moral community, even back when they're very young. So one of the reasons I feel that our kids thrived, and obviously this is probably a bit easier if you belong to a church community, because notice I didn't just say a community, I said a moral community. They were surrounded by a community who shared the same moral standards and values as us. That's why we took them to church every week. That's why as they got older, we made them go to youth every week. You know, as they get older, it is normal for teenagers to want to hang more around other people other than mum or dad. That is normal. And so you need to start setting that up now. To this day, our kids hang around a bunch of families that they grew up with in church. By the way, that was back when we were in Adelaide. We are now kind of separated over a few different states and our kids are still really good friends with each other and get together when they can. There's nothing like their friendship because they've got so much history together. And so it's really important. And and the other thing too, with putting them in a moral community, such as a youth ministry, when they start to maybe, you know, sometimes they get to that age where they're like, well, I don't want to just do it because mum and dad say, or I don't just believe it because mum and dad say. You want other people who share the same values as you to back it up, to back up what you say and what you believe. But because it's coming from someone else, like a youth leader, for example, they'll be much more open to receiving it. And so there are other people that can help reinforce those values into them other than yourself. And that's really important. Okay. Number five, Another really important way to help rebellion-proof them is to shape their moral heart now while you have time. I know that you hear me say this a lot about discipling and training their moral heart. I cannot tell you how many times parents seem to be oblivious to their kids' moral faults. I see this as a teacher. I've watched kids who they lie or they're deceptive or they're aggressive or they just seem to betray their friends easily or they're manipulative or moody or they cause drama or they're argumentative or they're bossy. The list could go on and on. The time to deal with these things is when they are young. And when I mean deal, I mean keep at it until you actually see a change in their hearts. You know, deception, for example, I think deception is one of the worst things to deal with in a teenager. And if you see deception in your child or lying, I they're probably the two things that I think are the biggest red flags for having that you're going to have trouble when they're teenagers. I would be all over that because deception in little ways when they're seven or eight will become full-blown deception that you will not want to deal with when they're when they're bigger when there's far bigger consequences involved when they're you know 16 or 17 um and so and and it's always just the little things it's the little tiny things that you have to keep an eye on you know i mean it could be like they took something out of the pantry when they knew that they weren't meant to that might not, not seem a big deal when they're seven or eight but deal with that because that's an issue of the heart that means that they feel like they can deceive and lie to you. Now, you might not think it's a big deal when it's a, you know, a muesli bar or a cookie or whatever, or it just might be a little lie that you think's cute and not bit not a big deal. It's not cute and it is a big deal because that will grow. I had a parent recently tell me that they're not sure if their um, if their child is stealing. Um, they're a young teenager. Now, firstly, a young teen doesn't just suddenly steal either. 
they would have shown deception when they were younger. And like I said, it might have been that they took lollies out of the pantry when they were not allowed to. Um, And secondly, if you think at all that your teen has the ability to steal, you know, if you think that's even possible, you've got a big issue on your hand. I would hunt that issue down if I even suspected it. I never, ever, ever suspected that my kids would steal. Um, But there was a long line of trust that I just knew that they wouldn't do that. So if you're suspecting that, then that's been an issue for a while and I would be hunting that down. I would say that that teenager also has lying problems because if you ask them, did you take such and such and they don't tell you, well, then when did they start to lie? Because I can guarantee you that's not the first lie that they've told you at the age of 13 or 14. Okay. And finally, number six, and then I will recap for you. Number six, watch what is shaping their worldview. This is probably becoming more of an issue now, even more so than when my kids were young. Um, I'm talking about movies, shows, music, social media, all of that can contribute to your child's worldview. Now, as they get older, you know, you don't always want to be hiding and protecting them from things. I think when they're really young, you know, when they're three, four, five, six, they're very impressionable. Like I would even be careful watching the ABC, for example, now, um, you know, back when my kids were young, it was pretty, um, it was pretty mild and, and it was innocent and pretty good, but there's a lot of things I've seen more recently where I'm like, are you kidding me? I think even, um, you know, the wiggles, there were certain things that just everything used to be pretty safe, pretty stock standard. But now because more and more, there are more and more instances of ideologies being pushed through to children, um, you can't just put them in front of a show now and let them, let that babysit them. We have to be all over it. And that takes time and investment as a parent, but, but that's the key word. It's investment because you don't want your kid to be sitting there learning something. I know a parent pointed out something to me the other day that her two-year-old was watching on a particular show. And she goes, Renee, have a look at this. And I was mortified, but luckily this parent was switched on. And so she's very careful because when they're so young, they're very impressionable. It gets a little bit, you know, as they get older, there's social media, but you don't always want to hide them from everything. I definitely would when they're younger, but as they get older, um, you want you want to be okay with them being exposed to certain things, but on your terms when you know about it so that you can help them navigate and have discussion um, with them about those worldviews. So I've said this before, but don't shy away. Those conversations are incredibly important to help you reinforce your family values you know, don't make things so taboo that they're not allowed to do or talk about that they just go behind your back. I know um, a young girl years ago and her parents didn't allow her to do anything. And I know that she was deceiving them and using um, like a a school computer um, to go behind their back and to look at things that she wasn't meant to be looking at. So you don't want to make things so taboo that they will find ways to be deceptive. Keep them so busy, um, also that they don't have time to start, you know, messing around. Um, but have the discussions, be open, uh, be interested, like say to them, Oh, what have you seen? And, you know, if you see them looking at something or whatever, have that discussion. And what do you think about this? And don't ram your opinion down their throat, ask questions and use your questioning to help, um, to help them think. That's what we used to always do. We didn't tell our kids what to think. We would ask questions and it would lead them to the outcome, I guess, that we were wanting. Um, 
but yeah, like I said a moment ago, keep them busy as well. So they don't have time to just sit there watching endless amounts of shows or Netflix or being on social media. Get them involved with things, get them involved with hobbies and activities and, um, you know, hanging out socially with their friends and, you know, being around people rather than just sitting there on their social media. You know, young people that have goals, this is another Dr. Phil one. I learned this from him. Thank you, Dr. Phil. Young people that have goals have less time to get in trouble and they've also got less motivation to do so. I remember him saying, if young people have a goal, you know, they want to, um, you know, maybe they're in, you know, Australia Girls Choir and they want to get up to the next level or they're in a sporting team and, you know, they want to win the, um, the championship or, you know, they've got a goal with their study or whatever it might be. They've got, you know, they play a musical instrument. If they've got goals and things that they want to achieve in their life, then that's going to motivate them to stay on track to want to achieve them. It's a very, very healthy thing for them to do. Okay. So, Let me give you those top six things on what you can do now to help rebellion-proof your child. So number one, put your spouse first and invest into a healthy marriage because then that will make your family something worth belonging to. Uh, And remember what I said, it's not just an investment in your kids, it's an investment into your future. Number two, um, develop a really strong sense of family identity so that your kids feel really safe and secure and they know where they belong. That's very important. Number three, foster respect in their younger years and let that respect go always towards themselves, towards you as parents, towards authority, towards their siblings. Let them learn a whole heap of respect. Number four, surround them with a really good moral community that will help you to back up um, your family values in their lives. Number five, shape their moral heart now while you have time. Look out for those little areas that need correcting in them, whether that be that they're bossy or they're argumentative or, you know, they take charge and don't listen or, you know, maybe they lie, whatever it is, and work on those things. Um, And then number six, watch what you are allowing to shape their worldview. And probably what I didn't say on that one was it's not just a a matter of taking things away, but put things in place that you do want them to shape their worldview. Like, for example, Ashton used to love superheroes. And so there was this um, program, I think it was on DVD back at the time, and I went and bought them all from Curon. Um, and they were Bible Bible Man. So it was like Bible Man was like a superhero. And Ashton loved it. My other two didn't like it, but he loved it. And so I was happy to let him sit and watch that. I even remember one day he was like saying a prayer with them because they were all praying and they were like, pray with me. And I think he would have been about four. And I look over on the lounge chair and there he is kind of watching the screen and then half closing his eyes and saying the same prayer as Bible man. And so, you know, we get the opportunity to put things in front of them that we are happy shaping their worldview. So there you go. That is a good 20 minutes. I have put six different tools in your hand of things that you can be doing right now to help rebellion-proof your teenager. There is so much more to be said about the teenage years, but like I said, I don't like to give you too much at a time, just small chunks of things you can take away. So I know I've had quite a few of you say to me that you're taking notes as well. I love that, that you, um, that you've listened to more than, you know, to episodes more than once. So you can take notes. I often do that on my phone. 
I've got um, a very organized folder system in the notes section of my phone. And so, yeah, if you find anything that's gold amongst it, or you want to write down, for example, the six points from today, just jot them down um, in your notes. And even the episode number, by the way, because I often do that when I'm listening to a podcast and then I know what episode to go back to. Anyway, I think you guys are wonderful. I think you're amazing that you come back every week and listen. And um, thank you so much for, again, reaching out to me over and over again. I really appreciate it. Appreciate every single one of you. You're doing a great job because I know that those of you that are listening, that you are very much trying to intentionally parent your children. So kudos to you. Be encouraged today. Have a great week. And I will be back with you next Wednesday. Bye.